Welcome to Life's a Beach. I'm Bruce Hopkins, better known as Hoppo from Bondi Rescue. Each week I'll be sharing some stories, the good, the bad and everything in between. I'll be chatting to guests about their life experiences and giving our listeners an insight to the challenges we have faced in our lives. We'll share a few jokes and some banter along the way and hopefully our experiences will resonate with you. As the saying goes, while life's a beach, it can also be a bitch. Hey everyone, this week on Life's a Beach, I chat with Beach Volleyball Olympic gold medalist Kerry Potast. Kerry won gold at the 2000 Olympics at Bondi Beach and is currently on SAS Australia. Then later on, lifeguard Tommy joins me in the shack for Beach Banner and I go to the mailbag to answer questions from the fans. Now let's have a listen to my chat with Kerry. This week in the Beach Shack, we've got Olympic champion, Kerry Pothas. How are you? I'm great. That's good. <laughs> I remember um, we'll start with the, the Olympic Games and, and then we'll go into um, chatting about how you got there. But there's a connection there for me because I was working down there as a professional lifeguard in you know 2000 and I remember the stadium being built. They came in and the bulldozers came in and people would chain themselves to the bulldozers. They didn't <laughs> want this stadium to be on the beach and... And from there, you know, it ended up one of the, the best Olympics. And I remember sitting in the – we had a compound further up south and, and you and uh, Natalie were, were playing the, the final. And we could hear the crowd cheer and then it had come through in delay on the uh, radio. So we listened <laughs> to the whole final on the radio and we are looking right at the stadium. But Wow, I'm know. getting goosebumps, Hopper, <laughs> like sitting here because I can feel it. I can still feel it. It's been so long. But, but yeah. what, a, what an amazing – time and and how was it turning up Bondi Beach and playing beach volleyball in Olympic Games? Oh look I couldn't have timed it better in my like athlete career I'd been already playing volleyball I played indoor volleyball for 10 years with the national team before I even touched a beach volleyball before I even got my toes sandy and it wasn't until I had a a fairly serious knee injury and I couldn't really play indoor anymore because of the hard floorboards I tried beach thinking it would be better on my joints and it was and then there was this opportunity to go to the Olympics. And the first one that we played in was in Atlanta in 96. Right. Knowing then, though, that Sydney was already on the cards and getting the bronze in Atlanta was just – it was the beginning of that dream of that gold medal. We we're like, if we can win a bronze yep. and, you know, we beat all the Americans in that event and we only, had, only lost to the Brazilians, you know, we had four years to get there. And to do it in your home state, like Natalie's yeah. from Brisbane, but I've right. been living in Sydney now for you know nearly thirty years, yeah. and uh, to be doing it at home in your home country, home state, it was like mm. a you know the cherry on top, and yeah, it was perfectly timed. <laughs> <laughs> well, with the um, I mean, the crowd was amazing, and for people that um, probably listening that weren't born in that that time either, it was a ten thousand seat stadium, and. Where our, our uh, tower is currently and, and where the uh, tunnel is is where our gear shed is. But that's where the athletes would come down and into the main arena. Yeah, I remember going through that tunnel a fair bit. <laughs> we had quite a few <laughs> matches. I think the first time we came through the tunnel, we saw this sign on the outside. It said, no ball sports allowed. <laughs> and all the athletes from the other countries thought that was quite humorous. Oh, no ball sports allowed on this beach, but yeah. we've got this massive stadium. And I know it was hard for the locals, but in the end, the locals loved having us there. Honestly, they were all trying to get tickets. It was such a big event and it was so much fun. 
But I remember going through that tunnel for our first match. Right. And it was, you know, we thought that we'd prepared for everything. We thought we knew what it was going to be like to yeah. be playing in front of a home crowd. But boy, did, were we like, you know, <laughs> surprised because standing there waiting to go out, we heard the music, we heard that they were starting to cheer loudly. They knew that we were the first Australian team yeah. coming out. And I think I went to the toilet about 15 times. <laughs> like, not yet, not yet, I've got to go to the toilet. I was so nervous. And um, yeah, we nearly lost our first match because we were so thrown by the audience like mm. they they wanted us to win so every time we won a point it was like yeah really loud and you feel like you're on top of the world and then when you lose a point not because of a, a mistake but because yeah. the other team played well it was like oh yeah. and that was really loud as well <laughs> so it was like this emotional roller coaster and that was the biggest thing we had to deal with mentally mm. in our first match we only just pulled it out in the last couple of minutes a few points to finish it off and and then we got better and better and got more and more used to the crowd and yeah. So how did you deal with that then when you after the first round, obviously you got through and you went away and, and what did you sit down and together and, and say how are we gonna manage this or is just something that you just ran with? No, well some teams just kind of blew it away and just went, you know, we'll deal with it for the next match. But we were very well rehearsed in that when things didn't go right, mm. we went, how can we make this better? That was our slogan. How can we make this better? We'd learned that from our first Olympics. And the first thing we thought of, or the first thing I thought of was who can we talk to that's part of the Australian squad, you know, another athlete right. that's used to playing in front of big crowds, coming home as the favourite and being cheered for very loudly. And we thought tennis players and, and Pat Rafter was playing um, okay, in the yeah. Olympics that year. So it was really cool because our physical trainer knew his trainer and they just got on the phone and, and we said, can we come and speak to Pat? We weren't staying in the village. We were staying in Randwick, actually, right. in a Catholic nunnery. That's a whole <laughs> other story. <laughs> but we went into the village and we sat down with Pat and Leighton Hewitt was in the team and a few of the other players and we just chatted with them. And one thing Pat said to us, and it was really nice of them to allow us to, yeah. to do that at the time, but we were all athletes. We were on the same, same um, field at the time. But he said, you know, make sure that, when you're with Natalie on the court, because he played a lot of doubles as well, he said, just look her in the eye, play together, really feel like you're building this kind of on a cocoon around you. Yes, the crowd's there, but kind of make it feel like it's just you and Nat against, you know, whoever's on the other side. And so when I, I took away this feeling of having like a, a, a dome of, of glass or, a you know, something, what was that in, um, in Get Smart, you know, the... The cone of silence. Oh, the cone that, of silence. Yeah, 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 yeah. I kind of felt like we had this cone of silence and I could hear the murmur of the crowd, but I, yeah. I couldn't see them. Like right. I, I didn't know where anyone was sitting. It was right. just like this blur. And I'll never forget like when the last ball landed out and we like realised that we'd won the gold medal because I chased it to the line just as you do. You train yeah. to and left it. It went out. Natalie's screaming towards <laughs> me like, Aah! and I just remember it felt like I hit the ground and it felt like that cone of silence right. just kind of shattered and I looked up and I could see the faces on these people and it was just like, it was almost frightening. Yeah. It was yeah. like, whoa, <laughs> what have we done? Because we were so, oh, I was particularly so in the in the moment and so focused that it just shattered the minute that right. whistle blew and, and it, you know, finished the match, that focus shattered. I've never been in the zone ever like that beforehand or after. Well, the Brazilians were came back. You had a good start and then they came back at, at you guys and then... I think you had a, a good serve and that sort of yeah. got you back into it. But <laughs> that feeling of like letting it go, was there temptation that, 
I need to touch and hit this ball because is it going out or not going out? Like, yeah. Did you think about that at all or was it just well, too quick? Well, it was, like I said, I was so in the zone that as soon as the ball flies over the net, even if I'm watching a game, I can, because I've played so much volleyball, yeah. you can tell that it's right. going in or out. It's like yeah. a tennis player leaving a ball that's only a few inches out. Yeah. They know that it's going to, you just feel it. Yeah. But the, it was just automatic for me to run towards it. But those last few points, yeah, it was they were pretty full on because they had been, you know, they were ahead in both sets. And we just, when I look at the video, we we just did not look like we were ever going to lose that match mm. in our faces. Although we were on points, we yeah. were behind a lot. And they, you could actually see the point where they in both sets almost went, what's going on here? These girls are not lying down. Like they're just not giving up because they'd beaten us 16 out of 17 matches in the lead up to the Olympics over three years. So we had that one match under our belt, but that was enough to give us that little extra last bit of belief. And yeah, we just believed in ourselves so much. It was going to be our day. And I remember I hit an ace and then it was match point. And I'm trained. I knew what to do next because you hit an ace and my coach always said to me, after an ace, go for the same aggression, but make the risk lower. Right. So instead of going for the sideline, which I hit that last ace for, I went for the middle of the court. So if it was a slight miss hit, it would just spray to one of the players. And so I smashed it to the middle of the court with the same aggression and that put them under more pressure, right. which gave us the game. So it's just being able to draw on the experience of yep. the years that you've played volleyball at that moment. That is the key to peak performance. And it's okay. like you guys. I mean, you go out in the water and yep. you know what? You just know instinctively what to do because yep. you've done it so many times. Yep. So that feeling of winning, how was it re- relief? Or was it <laughs> so surreal that it took you like what, days or hours to I still can't it all believe sink it. in? It's been 20 years. I still can't <laughs> believe it. No, look, I've been asked that a lot and it's really hard to describe in a couple yep. of words how, how you feel. I think it's a, a combination and it, at first it was like shock. Because I, f- I came out of that focus and I was like, oh, my God, we did it. Yeah. And then it was like relief and then it was like like amazement and then joy and I don't know. And then it was just confusion because it's like, what? Like everyone's pulling you left, yeah, right yeah. and centre and you have to do like your drug tests and yeah. the media's pulling you. And, in fact, straight after the match we did our drug test, and you, which is literally peeing in a cup yep. in front of someone else, which is really <laughs> exciting. But we knew that we had to yeah. give a sample. And after playing sport, you don't have a lot of fluid left in your body. Yeah. So we chugged back a couple of bottles of water. And I always added a beer if it was the yeah. end of the yeah. tournament because it makes it come through quicker, yeah. you know. <laughs> and we gave our sample. Well, that was all good. But then Channel 7 took us up onto the hill in Bondi to do like a live, our first live interview right. to the nation. And we're standing around. I don't know why we went up there. I think the, you know, the signal was better or something. Yeah. And we're standing around this little side street and all the neighbours had come out, all those people who had probably chained themselves to the <laughs> tractors. <laughs> and they came out of their house and there was this lady. And by this time, all that water that I drank is really starting to make right. its way through my system. <laughs> and I looked at this lady. I said, do you have a house here? And she goes, yeah, just across the road. And I said, can I please use your bathroom like before we go on air? I'm busting. And she said, come on, come on. So they allowed me to run across the road and I went to a bathroom. And this that was probably the moment I realised that our lives were going change that you know what we'd achieved in Australia was just going to be remembered for a long time was when I came out of her bathroom she was just standing there and she looked up at me she was standing right at the door when I opened the door and she looked up at me and she said I'm never going to wash my bathroom again and I went oh my god she's probably there telling the story to this day you yeah know. she probably does I tell it all the time I'm hoping one day someone would go that was my mum's house you know uh, but that was pretty cool yeah. 
So what was it like when um, you stood up on the, the dice, you know, they're handing out the, the medal presentation and, and then they play the national anthem? What, what's that feeling like? Oh, we had never experienced it at, up until that point. We'd, come, we'd won so many silver and bronze medals, I think 16 or something on the world tour before that. So that was our first time on the top of the podium winning a gold medal. So... It was a bit surreal. It was like, yeah. is this for us? <laughs> you know, and then all the dignitaries handing out the medals and then we got ours and we just looked at each other and we just couldn't stop hugging and kissing and like, yeah, just it was unbelievable. And then when they played the anthem and the whole stadium yeah. singing along, it's just one of those moments that you wish you could freeze it and kind of feel it. It yeah. went so quickly as yeah. well. It was a bit of a blur and yeah. I look at the photos and that reminds me of how I felt. But when yeah. I think back, I'm like, my God, it just went so fast. So fast, yeah. And the last week of the Olympics went really fast because we just did every interview, every appearance. Like, we barely got to really enjoy it. We went to a few events. Yep. I remember going to the basketball and Natalie and I carried our medals with us because yep. everyone wanted to see it. Yep. And we had all of our friends and some family with us. We had a group of probably 15 people and we're trying to get into the basketball. We didn't have tickets yep. and we just went to a side entrance and we're like, can we get in? And we just hold up our medal and they're like, come on through. And we went right down to the front yep. and we watched um, Australia play in their gold medal match, okay. the women, yep. and they finished second, but it was still pretty amazing. So we and we saw the hockey gold medal women's, but yeah, yeah. We, we were able to see a few things, but um, it was just incredible being part of the team. Oh, it was incredible Olympics. It was. I just remember the the hype in Sydney, and you know, it was just fantastic. I got out to a, a few, um, you know, the the Olympic Stadium out there and watched a bit of the athletics and a bit of the swimming. Did you see Kathy win? No, I didn't see a win. I saw a uh, second round, I think, okay. second or quarterfinals. I think I saw that one, but didn't see the uh, final. I had to watch that one on TV. But, uh, yeah, so yeah, that did was we. another. I mean, you could see the stress when she finished, the emotion yes. that that. You know, it's it's done because she was so favourite, and people think that oh, she's just going to win. Yeah, but there's always that chance of something going wrong, exactly, and, and, you know, and, and, and dealing with it as a professional yeah. athlete. Yeah, and for her, it was like feeling like she would let down the nation if yeah. she didn't win, and yeah. she'd kept the secret of the whole torch lighting the torch as well. She'd yeah. kept that secret, so she was holding on to so, so much. So yeah. I can absolutely understand yeah. why she felt that relief, but. Yeah. We actually won on the same day she did. Right. So we won in the afternoon. Kathy won that night. And Tatiana Gregoreva, she won a silver oh, yeah. in the pole vault. The pole vault, yep. And the next morning, the day after you do your media interview, and I remember sitting in, and there was like obviously hundreds of media because it yeah, was yeah. Kathy in the middle, Natalie and I on one side and Tatiana on the other side in this big bench and doing our conference. And there was like 15 questions for Kathy. Yeah. Five questions for Tatiana, two for Kerry now, 15 for Kathy. And I remember I had my little camera on taking photos of Kathy on the side and taking photos of the media. I mean, we just we just felt like yeah. we were privileged to be there. Oh, mate. But, uh, you know, an effort that to win an Olympic gold medal, it just doesn't matter what sport it is. It's tough to win that in any sport. So, you know, to this day, that's a memory that I'll never forget either been down there at my, you know, home beach as well in the Olympic Games. and Yeah, I wish we'd had something to do with you guys and you, you know, could have taken us out on the boards or something. Yeah. We should have done something like that. <laughs> Maybe next time. Maybe next time. <laughs> you might be able to come back. You know, oh, God. Come back. <laughs> had a few too many knee injuries for that now. Well, with that, you know, you said that you had the knee injury playing indoor volleyball. Do you think that if you didn't get the knee injury, you would have ended up going the path of beach volleyball? That's, that's a really hard one. I've thought about that a lot. And 
when I injured my knee, I was 27, so I wasn't, you know, young. It took me a year to come back to try and play indoor again, and then I realised I couldn't, so I started playing beach, and so I was 29 when I really kind of started to get into the world tour on the beach. Mm. Because you ha- uh, you're the home country, you get a team in each event, and right. indoor volleyball for Australia, even though I'd been in the national team for 10 years, we were ranked 25th in the world or something, and they only take 12 countries, right. top 12 countries for the Olympics, so we never had a chance of qualifying indoor volleyball mm. on our own back. But because it was in our home country, we had an indoor team. And that could have, knowing that, it could have kept me going playing indoor. So, yeah, it's a blessing. Although, you know, I suffered and I've always played injured, you know. I limped in here today. (laughs) I've just re-injured it again. But, yeah. And we'll touch on that a bit later. Why? Yes, yeah. But, I mean, everything's a blessing. And I think if you can turn things around and, and, and just think of the positives. Yeah. You can always make something out of anything bad that yeah. happens to you. And, and that's what I've learned through my elite sports career, especially through injury, but yeah. also through losing. Like I've, I was never a good loser. Right. I don't mind. Like I, don't, I wasn't a bad loser, but I wasn't a good loser, if yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah. Like I was always like, oh, what, what do we do? How can I make it better? And that would stress people out <laughs> around me like <laughs> Natalie and our coach and that. But that kind of continued to push us forward. And I learned not to dwell on the past pretty quickly that if I dwelled on the past too long, I'd lose two or three or four more points. So I learned very quickly. I had to go, okay, that's done. Push it aside. Um, I had a few like key physical things. I used to kind of wipe the sweat off my eyebrow and flick it off. That was kind of wiping away a mistake so I could think about the next point because you only get a few seconds between points. So all those lessons that I'd learned through that, I've taken into life after sport and it's really helped me cope with things that don't go right mm. in life after sport as well. I think sport is the best grounds for, for young kids to get involved, especially team sports, yeah. where they can learn that kind of communication and teamwork with the, the people around them. Yeah, 100% agree with that. And Well, with the injury, did with the dark times there, did you think like obviously the transition to beach volleyball wasn't really in your head at the time? And, yeah. You know, do you think, well, this could be it? It's funny because I I never allowed myself to say it. I never allowed anyone to really feel it around me. I was just like, okay, what do I do next? I have to do this rehab. I have to try and straighten my leg out. I remember lying, sitting there with my leg almost, I don't know what the degree of bend was, and I couldn't get it Mm. anywhere near straight, and I had bags of rice on top of it trying to force it straight. You know, I'd... I'd be trying to do things that were well before when I was supposed to do them because I wanted to rehab. I just wanted to get back to playing because it was my love. Volleyball was my love. It was my passion. All my friends were involved. My family was involved. So I just wanted to keep doing it. And and so because it was, I was so passionate about it. I didn't really have anything else to do. I didn't Mm. have anything else to think about. I just thought about I got to get back. And then when I realized, I I tried to train with the national team. And when I realized that it was just going to be too difficult, I had this one opportunity, this one window to play beach volleyball with a, a girl who had also just retired from the indoor national team. And she was a really great friend of mine, one of my best friends. She said, hey, do you want to try out for this trip away? And I'm like, oh, trip away? Yeah, yeah. That sounds fun. Yeah. So we played this one-off match with another Aussie team and yeah. we won it and it gave us the opportunity to go away. And I just fell in love with beach because right. it's just so free because – Indoor volleyball, you've got six players on the, on each side and you're very specialised and the coach is always telling you what to do and there's all these strategies that you have to follow. 
beach volleyball, there's two of you. Every rally is different. You have to be able to do everything, be good at everything. If you lose, it's because of you. It's, if you win, it's because of you. You can't blame a bigger team. Yeah. There's no coaching on the court, right. so you have to work things out yourself. So I just saw it as a, an absolute massive challenge and yeah. I thought, give this a go and if it involves the Olympics, <laughs> even better. <laughs> well, it worked out perfect. <laughs> yeah, well, not quite perfect all the time. I definitely was always striving perfe- yeah. perfection. But that's something people think, oh, you know, we can't all be perfect. But mm. I don't think it's about being perfect, but it's about striving for yeah. perfection, which yeah. makes you better every day. So no one's ever perfect. That's right. But if you're trying to be perfect, if you're trying to do your best, then you're going to get better. And then after retirement, or before that though, when you went to um, beach volleyball, I think did you, you had a, a, a you're working and you had a career, and then did you give all that away to <laughs> to, 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 to take this on, or the, what was the story there? I'm pretty proud to say I haven't worked a nine to five job <laughs> since 1992. How many years is that's that? Pretty that's, good. Like that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I started. Years. Well, I can work it out pretty easy because I started a lifeguard as at ninety one, so that's thirty <laughs> years. So yeah, so twenty nine years. years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was working for GIO Australia in Perth, and I'd got that job to because the national indoor team when I was trying to come right. back was based over there, and I got that job as part of the their supporting our program. And I went from part time, uh, full time to part time. They allowed me to have time off to start playing a bit of beach, yeah. and then eventually, Natalie and I kind of we we kind of worked out how to play the media yeah. in a positive way, and then how to get sponsors. And so we were making enough money to to go without having to work. Yeah. And once that happened, that was it. I just thought, okay, we need more money, we need yeah. more sponsors, we need more media, and we just got really good at kind of that whole yeah. process. And we learned how to look after our sponsors too. Yeah. So many athletes think it's just putting a name on their T-shirt or, you know, they put a post on social media. But we had real relationships Mm. with our sponsors. We really brought them into our team. We made them feel like they were part of our team. I mean, I used to photocopy all our media and fax it to them. That's how long ago it was. (laughs) Or photocopy it and send it by mail, you know, in the post. But that's a great point, though. And I think that, you know, the the kids listening now that are – becoming, you know, or, or striving to be a professional athlete, yeah, the sponsors are the ones that are going to keep you on that tour. Yeah. So you need to give back as much as they're giving you, you need to give that back. Yeah, and just create a relationship yeah. with them because that's why they're doing it because they really, most of it is normally someone in that company who just loves sports yeah. and is passionate about sport and they want to know what it feels like. And and you've also got to learn to tell your story and that's mm. what we got really good at. So we learned to speak. And we learned to be able to relate our story to the group we were speaking to or relate a lesson that we learned Mm. to that group or just be able to tell it in an entertaining way that makes people smile, laugh, feel good, you know, be inspired. And I think that's something that's also missing from some athletes these days is you get so focused because that's what the programs are making you do, become so focused that you just think, oh, anything like that is a distraction, but Mm. it's not. It's actually part of your development because when they finish being an athlete, to be able to share those stories and inspire other people, that's what I feel like Mm. my my destiny was, to do that and win a gold so I could then use that as a platform to inspire other people. Mm. And that's what I I just love doing. And you have been out there doing that now. You you obviously do speaking gigs and and talk to people. And do you do coaching for beach volleyball i noticed you still get down to manly and and play a bit of volleyball (laughs) well i try well i did actually play a few months ago and nearly 
killed yeah. my knees. I couldn't walk for a week. So I was like, okay, don't, don't do that anymore. Cause I got too competitive and I was starting yeah, yeah. to jump and run around fast and then I couldn't walk. But yeah, I've, I coached a couple of years on the world tour, a couple yeah. of um, international teams, an American team and a team from Belgium, yeah. believe it or not, girlfriends of mine. <laughs> And then I just went, it's too hard to travel. I, I had a son and I just wanted to, to be home. And our national program's never been based in Sydney and I didn't want to yeah. move anywhere. So I just coached local people. Yeah, I yeah. just, I love the group. I've got a group of girls at Manly that just love hanging out and co- yeah. being coached by me. I can give them some stuff that can change their entire game mm. that they wouldn't normally get. Yeah. And that that's good. And speaking of just I just kept doing it. I yep. didn't – every December when it gets a bit slow, I think, oh, do I need to get a job <laughs> next year? And then it builds up again. I'm yeah. like, oh, no, I've got another good yep, year yep. ahead of me. So I just keep well, doing it. Well, that's cool. But, but everyone listening out there too, though, you, like beach volleyball is just such a great to, – to meet people and it's a team environment and you don't have to be like a, a professional athlete either. You, you can go down and play that every weekend if you want to. Yeah, 100%. And I'm on the northern beaches on the other side from you, on the better side of yeah, Sydney. Yeah, yeah, I know. I always <laughs> call it the dark side. Yeah, no, yeah. we, I don't know what we call you guys. But, uh, <laughs> but I come to actually come to Bondi once a year on the 25th of September. Right. I should come and knock on your door yeah, next yeah, you time. Yeah, say hello. Every um, year, that, that that's our anniversary. Right. So 25th of September, I go down there either with Natalie or friends or on my own. Yeah. Some days it's like pouring with rain. I just sit in the car yeah, and yeah. I pop a champagne yeah, yeah. and celebrate really? that day. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've not missed one year. Oh, that's great. But, yeah, there's t- I think we've got 10 or so courts, permanent courts now at Manly Beach, yeah. and it's a culture. Like, it's a big family. There are marriages within that family, babies. Like, I have friends that that we knew 20 years ago through yeah. the culture of beach volleyball that weren't elite players. They were just sort of weekend, you right. know, social players. Now all their children and my son, they all play. Right. And they're all getting really good and they've all been at the national championships yeah. and, they're you know, they're in school teams and stuff. And so there's a new whole generation that keeps on flowing on. Mm. So, yeah, we love it at Manly and we wish that Bondi could have more courts. I know there's yeah. oh, been the, a bit of a stink down there. Well, I was going to ask you, what's your opinion on that? There's people down there that want to ban... Beach volleyball because they're worried the ball's going to hit someone and hurt them. Well, the only word I could think to to come back at that is absurd because, as you know, I hit the ball pretty hard and the only person that's in any danger is the other side of the net, you know, and I've never hurt anyone even though they're they're getting it within a few metres. For that ball then to flow outside the court, it slows down so quickly Mm. that – it would roll up to some yeah. little kid. It wouldn't fly through the air and knock someone over. Like it's, it's pretty tame. Yeah. But I mean, Bondi's such a massive beach. To have a couple of courts there, it and there is a culture. There's been a culture at Bondi as well yeah. for the last twenty years, and there's a family environment down there. And you get a lot of people from overseas. They come and they yeah. join in, and it's good fun to watch for the people sitting around the court as well. They love to see. Men in their speedos yeah, yeah. and women in their bikinis yeah, 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 running no. around, and that's that's what Bondi's about. It's all <laughs> seen now these days. And, but the, the volleyball courts—they're up towards the back near the promenade. So you're right; people walk along the promenade, they'll stop on the railing and and watch you know, the other people play yeah. the beach volleyball. Hundred percent. And I I do that too when I'm there. I'm like, oh, do I know that person? Oh no. And then I think. Yeah. Wonder if they knew who I was standing there. That you know, <laughs> sometimes I feel like walking down there and just saying, "Hey, yeah, 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 yeah. twenty years ago." Yeah, I know. No. <laughs> that's that's the, the 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 bad part about it all, and that that uh, everyone growing up now not realizing yeah. you know, who's who and well, there's uh, no legacy you know. no. at Bondi of no. us ever being there. There's no. no court or anything, and every other sport that was at the Sydney Games, they have some 
field or court or yep. indoor stadium of where they competed, where that sport competed, yep. and they can they have plaques and everything. But only just this year, we've just had a mural put on the wall down there. So there's a mural of Natalie and I right. with our medals. And we organised that through the council yep. because we wanted something and we used that as a platform to, to create a scholarship. But... Yeah, it's a, it's a bit sad. We, we, we're still working on that, yep. some sort well, of legacy. There, there should be something there. I think that's, you know, Olympic gold medals at, yeah. at Bondi Beach. And, you know, I know the only world champion surfer that Bondi's ever had is Pauline Metzer that, that back in 1993. So, yeah. you know, for all these years, you know, I think that uh, yeah, people should be recognised for what they've done down at Bondi because people coming through have no idea of, yeah. the, of the history. Exactly. It's and it's part of Bondi's history because it did again open people's eyes to the beautiful beaches of Australia yeah. and then for Australians as well. That was such an iconic yeah. moment. And the funny thing is, you know, as we were leading up to the Olympics, you know, it was all about we were so focused, it was all about us. We really had no idea that it would be that big an event. Right. We thought that people would be booing us and that because the locals didn't yeah. want us there. We were actually preparing yeah. for negative backlash. Right. That's what we talked about in the lead up to that because of the stadium. We had no idea that it would be one of those moments and people still tell me 20 years later, oh, I remember you. I vividly remember you winning that with Natalie and I was on a bus and I heard it on the radio or I was at the stadium and they had it on the big screen or I was at home in Perth and I was watching on TV. So, yeah, we never, ever thought that that would happen but it's pretty cool that it has that oh, it mate, it's, it's absolutely you know, great that, that that did happen because uh it's very close to me too being down there at, at bondi yeah well the olympics are coming up soon how do you think you would deal with the current climate with covid oh. is it on is it off how do you prepare for it like the athletes need to have the vaccination like You've, 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 oh. have you been inv- you've been involved recently with, with some of the athletes? And- yeah, so I'm on the board of Volleyball Australia, so I hear everything that's going on. Uh, Natalie works a little bit with one of our top players out of yeah. Queensland. Our women's program's just moved up to, to Queensland, um, so they've had their last sort of eight or nine months of training up yeah. there, which has been good because they're in Adelaide, so the weather's yeah. so much better up there. Yeah. And they've just come back, the girls have come back after winning a gold medal on the world tour, but any athlete that's been training for this 2020 Olympics, like just what they've been going through, they've been through the ringer athletes. And I think kudos for everyone who's stayed in it and who can, you know, succeed in Tokyo under all this stress. Um, I'm also involved with the gold medal ready program, which is part of the Australian Institute of Sport. So they've kind of, engaged a whole lot of gold medalists that I'm one of and the Australian Army and we're helping current athletes who are going to Tokyo and beyond with to how to perform under pressure. Yep. And we've talked a lot about, you know, COVID in the last kind of few months, but it's just it's definitely something that no one's ever experienced. Yep. So It'll be like Natalie and I walking into the stadium for 10,000 people. It's yeah. like, whoa. Yeah. And they're going to walk into an empty stadium. They're going to be in hotels, quarantine, just go to their games, come back. Mm. It's, yeah, it's going to be quite weird. Yeah. And, well, hopefully, you know, everything goes well. But our women particularly are most definitely medal potential, if not right. gold medal potential. Okay. And they've done really well because they haven't had a competition bar this one recently yeah. for over a year stuck in Australia, whereas the other countries are already – you know, performing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're all getting their vaccines and, you know, unfortunately I think I talked to an athlete the other day who didn't really want to get a vaccine yeah. but if they didn't, 
it would make life so much more difficult for them to be part of the team and to be yeah. part of the Olympic squad. Um, and so they've just had to kind of swallow their own personal yep. thoughts about it yep. and and do it. So so what happens there if, if you don't have it, you can still go, uh, but you've obviously got to yeah. isolate different probably outside the team? Well, or? I'm not really sure. Yep. I, I, I don't know the answer to that because yep. um, I'm not on those inside circles. But yep. all I do know is that it's not compulsory. They do have a right. choice. But if you think about it, it would you'd yep. be treated very differently if you hadn't. You which is unfortunate, but that's just the life that we're leading at the moment. No one knows what's going to be happening in the next six months. Yeah. So, you know, hopefully it all goes well. At least they get it done. They yeah. can compete. There's some medals won. Yeah. Everyone comes back, does their quarantine, and, yeah. you know, life can hopefully at some point yeah. get back to some sort yeah. of normal. Yeah. Well, recently, as you said, you hobbled into the studio. <laughs> uh, and due to being a... Uh, contestant on SAS Australia so yeah crazy a little bit about that oh my god okay where do I start (laughs) I'd love to tell you that I had no idea that I would ever be on this show I remember watching it last year and it was just it was one of the craziest things I've ever done Mm -hmm. I remember watching it and thinking there is no way I could do that show I'm way too old I'm way too injured I could not do that they're running so much and then I got this random text message asking if I was interested or if I knew any. They wanted another retired female athlete. And I wrote a response. I actually – I have to look up that text message. But I wrote the response – of going, oh, that's a joke, you know, no way, I couldn't do that. And then I was was lying in bed, it was early in the morning, I was looking at it and I'm like, no, stuff it, I can do that. Like it was just like something just went challenge in my eyes. And yeah, as soon as I think that I can't do something, it's like a challenge. It's just a part of me. I'm like, I I like to seek those sensations of, whoa, it's scary. And I replied and said, okay, I'll speak to the producer. And then when I spoke to the producer, I'm like, you sure you want me? Like I'm 55, I've got bad knees. She's like, yep, yep, yep. If you think you can do it. Absolutely. And so I had 11 weeks to prepare for it. I had some issues through that time. I'm going to tell those stories soon, but I had yeah. some issues with my knees. Didn't think I'd even make it to the start line. Had to had to lean on all my um, strength yeah. mentally to get over the doubt that I would even be there, make it, and then be able to mm. – comp- oh, it's not really a competition, but be, be able to do the selection yeah. course. And then, yeah, when I made it to the start line, I was pretty stoked. I, I just got there in time with my knees. <laughs> I just healed in time. And it was by far the hardest thing I've ever done, but it was also the best thing I've ever done. Like, it, yeah, you can't even put those two comments together because when it felt hard at the time, I definitely didn't think this yeah. was great. Yeah. <laughs> but afterwards you go, wow, yeah. there's no way that I'd ever get a chance to swing from underneath yeah, a helicopter. Yeah, <laughs> you know? stuff there. yeah, yeah. there's yeah. no way I'd ever like, I don't know. I can't give anything away no, yet, yeah. but yeah, I don't know how I'd go. I'm, I'm a bit scared of heights, so I don't know how I'd go with the heights. But I, I have skydived and, and I've done a few other things with heights. But uh, oh, they'd love you. Yeah, they to, love people yeah. that are scared of yeah, stuff. Like, I know. I was probably a bit bland because I didn't really get too scared. I mean, no. I, I was on the inside. There was a challenge where we would yeah. be underwater, and I was really scared of being able to yeah. hold my breath, which you would probably be really good at. Yeah. But I've never been good at holding my breath breath, and I never like going in the big waves either because it scares me. Mm. And so that was a challenge that I had to dig really deep and when I ended up doing it, it felt almost serene. It was that freaky. But I actually did a breath workshop with Dino a few weeks before the course because I just thought I need to just get a few little tips 
And that really helped and did, we yeah. did the ice bath and, of course, you know, there's always a lot of cold in, in, on the yeah. course as well. So that helped being able to just breathe through the cold and just breathe through those yeah, moments. Just, just controlling the breathing and not panicking because yes. yeah, as soon as you panic, you lose your breath really, really quick. Yep. And as soon as you panic, like you do stupid stuff yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to keep me calm, I used a lot of that stuff yeah. that I'd learned from him. But when I got the, I guess, the sign up or the the go ahead, yep, you're in. And I had this 11 weeks to prepare. I treated it like winning a gold medal. I'm like, yeah. right, 11 weeks, count backwards. What do I need to do each week? Who do I need on my team? Yeah. I watched the previous episodes. I talked to three of the previous. I talked to Shannon Ponton, yep. Shana Jack and Candice Warner. Yep. And they were really open about their experiences. So I learned a lot. And that's something that people forget to do sometimes when yep. they're going for something really huge, going for a big goal is just ask someone who's already yep. done it yep. and find out how they did it. It's so easy. Yeah, that's right. And they want to tell you about it because yeah. everyone who's successful wants to share it, you yeah. know. And so it was great to be able to get that that info from them, made me feel more comfortable. I knew what I had to prepare for, all the different aspects, whether it was, you know, running with a pack, wearing the boots in, mm-hmm. like a couple of the contestants before yeah. we started or the recruits, as we call them, yeah. had really bad blister issues, but right. w- they managed to get on top of them, you know, because yeah. these boots are thick and heavy. Yeah, and, so you blister up pretty easy. Yeah, and they can knock you out. Within mm. a day, you, you, like, if you blister up, there's no way. You just yeah. can't. Your feet, like Shannon said, foot health. Yeah, yeah. He said, make sure that your feet are, you know, that you look after your feet because yeah. that'll knock you out if you don't. Yeah, well, there's no running or walking. It's pretty hard with... Blisters yep. in boots. And they don't, you don't walk anywhere. They just <laughs> yell at you, go. It's like, he go. He tells you what the task is and then he goes, stand by. And then it's like, effing go. And you just have to belt off and all the big guys are running and I'm in the middle and I'm just trying to, I think they, one of them said I, I ran like C3PO, oh, like yeah. a bit kind of mechanically because I was trying to kind of, you know, be careful of my knees yeah, and yeah. Big guys booming around me, you know, Sam Burgess and Mark yeah. Philippousis and who else was one of the big – Heath Shaw, yeah. AFL player. Like we had some big, strong dudes. Yeah. But they were all amazing and it was such a great experience. Uh, really got to know these people. But we were stripped back, like literally yeah. – actually, literally, yeah. <laughs> of all of our egos. So when we went in there, even though you've got some of these big-name personalities who had maybe had some checkered past or something about their backstory – didn't matter. Mm. They were just, we were dressed the same. We ate the same. We did the same thing. We, yeah. you know, pooed and weed next yeah. to each other. Like yeah, it yeah. was just <laughs> some of the things you, you had to let go of all your airs and graces. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it sounds pretty good. I'm, oh. you know, one day I might give it a crack, but yeah. Yeah, yeah you it's, should. It's, it's a challenge, yeah. but don't be injured going in. No. Nah. Because that will just, it messes with your head. Yeah. Like every day I was just worried about my knees. Yeah. And I was just, so sometimes it would actually, not take me out of the task, but it took me out of the environment. Like I'd get back at night and and I'd be like, okay, what do I need to do? I need to yeah. do this. I need to do that. And I, maybe I missed out on connecting with a couple of people because I remember one of the DS, the directing staff, the guys, the army guys, <laughs> the SAS guys, <laughs> they said, um, you're a bit lonely. Like you seem like you're a little bit off to yourself. I'm like, I'm just trying to manage my body at this point. Like, yeah, started like stay a bit internal to make sure my body lasts as long as I can. Well, thanks Kerry for coming in and uh, telling your stories. It's really, really good. And uh, at least I can congratulate you on your Olympic gold medal in person now, even though it's about 20 odd years later. But uh, yeah, no, it's great having a chat and I'm sure a lot of the listeners will get a lot out of what you've had to say.
Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a great podcast and, yeah, hopefully we can inspire some people to just get out there and, and take on a challenge Keep risking. Doesn't matter if you're in your 50s like us. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Life <you>. starts in <laughs> their 50s, doesn't it? <laughs> if you want to get in the beach volleyball, head down to Manly and you'll see Kerry down there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Or Bondi. <laughs> <laughs> How good was it having 2,000 Olympic gold medalist Kerry in the beach shack? Next up, beach banter with Tommy. Okay, today in the Beach Shack, it's uh, a very good welcome to Tommy Fraser, one of our uh, young lifeguards from a few years ago. How are you, Tommy? Good, Hop. How are you going, mate? Good, mate. Good. You wouldn't believe it. I was, I've just moved home and I thought I was pulling a couple of boxes apart and I pulled out this magazine, Vogue. And remember the time that we were in Vogue? Yeah, you, us and Carly Kloss, who we have, Bisho and uh, Glicky. Oh, Glicky was there, yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. How was uh, that day? Yeah, that was kind of surreal because, uh, yeah, it was weird. It was, it was you, Glicky and Bisho, some very good-looking men, and somehow I got dragged into it just because I had long, long golden hair. Yeah, I think that was the case. I think we put up every lifeguard. We sent everyone's pictures off, and unbelievably – I think your hair got you over the line. So, Tommy, tell us a little bit about uh, how uh, you thought you went with the uh, Vogue shoot. Yeah, I, I still tell that story every chance I get after a couple of beers. I remember Carly Kloss grabbing my hair. She was twirling it. She uh, wanted to stand next to me for a photo. Then the director kind of gave me that real bitchy up and down look and said, nah, he's too short. <laughs> no, that was a very heartbreaking moment for me, actually. Yeah, I remember she took a bit of a liking to your hair. She sort of was, you know, snuggling up a bit and feeling it. You know, that must have been uh, quite good to uh, have Carly Kloss show a bit of attention towards you. Yeah, I was um, I was really death staring the uh, the Bondi Rescue camera crew wanting them to come and film this supermodel getting really uh, nice and friendly with me. <laughs> well, it's not every day we get to uh, film with a supermodel, do we? Nah, nah, that was my, it took me 20, what, 20 years to film with a supermodel and it's been about five years. I'm still waiting for my next turn. <laughs> it was a fun day. I remember she um, got the megaphone, she's holding it up and she was sort of starting to pretend she was a lifeguard herself. I think she forgot she was a supermodel for a moment. Yeah, I reckon she wanted, um, when we finished film, like doing our shoots, I reckon she wanted us to come back with us to the tower. I don't think she was too keen to go to the trailer and put on a new outfit and pose. Yeah, no, she wanted, she, to, uh, she wanted, she wanted <laughs> she to come uh, come back and uh, hang out with us. But what a uh, yeah. what a great shoot! But what obviously people would have seen the magazine. I think what would what did your mum think of that? Yeah, mum, I think mum bought about ten copies of it, and <laughs> they're, they're in a box somewhere at home. Um, yeah, my nan, she definitely she bought a copy or two herself, and she, everyone that entered her house got shown it. But. The background story to that is, geez, the daggers that were coming to us from the other boys in the tower. Yeah, I know. We were uh, copping it when we were uh, down there doing the shoot. And there's, there's plenty of knives going in, I think, uh, when uh, in the tower when uh, we were doing the shoot. I think a lot of others would have loved to have been down there doing that as well. Oh, I've, I've never been so happy knowing that people were so jealous and talking so much <laughs> shit about me. I was, I was, I was in my element. <laughs> yeah, it's always good when, uh, you know, people are... Uh, a bit jealous, and you're down there doing your doing a gig that uh, is quite fun. 
when you know they're talking shit because of pure jealousy. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, you know, Bishow and Glicky, you know, they blended in quite well. They've got that uh, bit of that model look. Yeah, oh, another lifetime those two boys could have been over with Carly in France and doing all those runways, I reckon. <laughs> you, you, and, you and me, I think we're a bit of more of the bulldogs on the shoot. Yeah, that's it, mate. I'm a bit, uh, bit past my time. I'm, <laughs> I'm getting a bit weathered for... Uh, Doing the model shit. At least, at least you had a time. <laughs> oh well, your time will come, mate. It's yeah, you know, that's just the start of it. Oh, you're sounding like my mum now. <laughs> anyway, Tommy, mate, great to have you in the beach shack, and uh, we'll catch up soon. Cheers, Hop. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Tommy, for coming into the beach shack. Up next, I answer letters from the fans. This letter's from Chloe from Louisiana. Do you ever get bad anxiety? Well, I, I never really suffered too bad with anxiety, but I do get a bit anxious, especially uh, when I've got to do something that's outside my comfort zone, and that uh, can be quite uh, difficult. I've always been quite quiet, and probably public speaking is probably the toughest thing that I've had to do and, and learn how to do. So if I ever get uh, anxiety, would be pretty much before a... Uh, a chat in front of a lot of people. Thanks everyone for listening. Remember to subscribe to Life's a Beach wherever you get your podcasts and hit us up with questions, comments, or follow us on our social media channels, which you can find in our show notes. That's it for today, beach fans. Stay safe and swim between the flags.